So you got a whole uh, alpha team now, don't you? But, you? but you have a wealth of knowledge that is beneficial to a lot of people, and it we can move the needle. How often do you hear a hunting podcast? We talked about this. People relate to this. I'm back at it again this morning on my second podcast, uh, mostly because I've been gone for over two months. But uh, I have got a guy I have watched on TV for quite some time uh, with his crew, and uh, that's Nick Munt, uh, Bone Collector. Uh, what's up, man? Hey, how's it going? That good, good. Good to uh, be here with I appreciate it. Yeah, I've actually I've had T-Bone on several times, and... Uh, I was going to reach out to you just on social and then, uh, you know, our mutual friend who talks a ton of shit, uh, had got a hold of me and I'm like, you know what? I, I just, I'm going to get a hold of Nick and see if he wants to hop on. So, man, I really appreciate you coming on here. I've been watching you for like 15 years. When did, uh, when did you get on with the bone collector guys? Yeah, we started, we started it, uh, 16 years ago. So we're in our 16th, 16th season. I think, I think our first year was, 2008 was the first year we aired and uh yeah so it's it's gone by geez like a flash unbelievable yeah i i bet and i mean you've gotten to do some crazy different hunts you know crazy you know people and uh you're i know where you're you're from i guess which is not a large metropolis um super cool area but tell everybody a little bit about yourself i don't want to dive in, in case somebody hasn't heard of you like uh where you're at where you've been where you started that kind of thing yeah so um so i'm from i'm from spearfish south dakota and um grew up there you know pretty much a pretty much a south dakota kid you know a lot of people think of of uh, south dakota as kind of the midwest but it's to me, it's more west. You know, where I grew up is uh, uh, the Black Hills. You know, it's kind of a small mountain range. Uh, we've got whitetails, mule deer, elk, uh, turkeys, mountain goats, bighorn sheep. Uh, I don't have moose or bears, but, you know, we've got a lot of big game opportunities there. And I uh, just grew up, you know, hunting and fishing and catching trout. Uh, and just always loved the outdoors, man. Just loved it since I was a little kid. You know, my... my uh, my mom's dad, my grandpa got me into hunting and, and my dad, of course. And, uh, so I just always loved it and, and loved animals. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I, I kind of wanted to be a veterinarian and soon figured out that I wasn't any good at math. So rather than fix animals, I just decided to shoot them. It's good thinking. Um, it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, you know, so after I got out of high school, um, I went to barber school, so I'm a barber by trade. Been doing that for, you know, since 1992. Graduated from high school in 1991, and um, you know, went, went basically worked on a ranch for a while after high school, and then decided I was going to go to barber school. And then uh, shortly after, I started working there. You know, I did that for several years, and then I went to Alaska and worked with some buddies of mine on a, a salmon fishing operation. Did that for a few summers. And then I got connected with uh, the guys at 7J Outfitters. So I started guiding there. Um, we've guided for whitetails, mule deer, elk, antelope, turkeys. Um, and then uh, the guys from Realtree had heard about us and they wanted to come and do a show. So this is kind of the, this is kind of the short version. They wanted to come and do a show. And so I was guiding David Blanton and, 
you know, those, those days in September are pretty long and you only really hunt a couple hours in the morning, a couple hours in the evening. So we had a chance to sit down in the middle of the day on that first day. And back then, you know, not really anybody was, was videoing, you know, there was no social media. And, um, I had a, I bought a Sony, uh, it was, a, it was called a high eight little camera with tapes in it. And so I took that everywhere and I videoed, you know, all my clients and, and the kids at seven J and, um, just all the scouting that I did. And so when David came, I had a chance to sit down with him and showed him a bunch of the, the hunts that I had filmed and he liked my work. So he asked me to come, you know, he said, man, we'd, we'd really like, you know, have a guy like you come to work for us, you know, running camera. And so I was like, a, you know, that was like a dream come true, you know, cause I always, at that time, you know, it was only a few hunting shows on TV and they were all on the Nashville network. And, uh, so I went to Jeff and Deb from seven J and, and they gave me their blessings. They asked me to guide for them for one more season. So I did that. And then, uh, Michael, Michael came out in the spring and shot a Miriam's Turkey with us. And he was the first guy that I videoed and me and him just hit it off. So, you know, we just turned into really good friends right then. And, spent the week chasing turkeys around um we killed one in south dakota and one in wyoming and um man we just hit it off and then you know after i worked for realtree for about almost 10 years we um he decided you know we started the road trip show in there and it just gained huge popularity and that kind of gave me a chance to get on camera a little bit with him and you know i didn't get to do a ton of hunting but i was always kind of in camp messing around and he always had a guest with him, you know, whether that was uh, somebody representing the company or, um, you know, one of the owners of the companies that, that sponsored us, I would video that person. And then in camp, um, our producer, Steve Finch would video everything. And we were screwing around playing wiffle ball and having fun. And, you know, it was kind of, we kind of changed the way that people film hunting shows, you know, it was kind of during that time of, um, you know, reality TV was just kind of starting to take off. So we started to film our show, you know, kind of like some of the reality shows that were going on and it really was a big hit. And, you know, Waddell's personality just started taking off like crazy and, um, you know, just really, really took off. So, you know, after he, after he did that for several years, you know, he kind of outgrew his role at Realtree and just came to me one day and said, Hey, I'm, you know, I want to go out and start my own brand and, you know, we'll kind of, try to do a TV show and, um, go out on our own. And, and, uh, so we did that. And in the, in the meantime, he had, he took a, a gig with Gander mountain and hosted their show for two years. And that kind of gave him the, the platform and the, and the money to, you know, buy some equipment and, and put a team together. And, and we, then we started our own, we started bone collector and, um, you know, we had a, a bunch of sponsors right off the bat. Everybody supported it. And, you know, they knew, they knew, you know, Michael's personality and, and the potential behind this new show that we were doing. And so, um, it just kind of took off. So that's kind of, you know, that brings us to today, you know, like I said, 16 years and, um, still going strong, you know, hopefully, hopefully we can keep it going for a while. Cause it's really all I know how to do. So, um, it's just been a, been a fun ride. It's been, you know, seen a lot of country and gotten to travel the world. You know, I've been, I've been in Africa and Asia and, you know, been to Russia and, um, you know, haven't gotten to do uh, a ton of international type hunting, which is something that, that I'd like to get into a little bit more. Um, but, you know, it's been great. And like I said, have had a lot of success in the field and just been, you know, really lucky to get to do this and, 
you know, Michael's, Michael's been a great guy to work with and T-Bone and, um, just been a awesome run. You know, we've, we've had a lot of fun and, and, uh, you know, like I say, hope we, hopefully we can keep it going. So just out of curiosity, cause like, um, I'll be, you're, you know, your upbringing's probably not too much different from, from mine or, you know, it wasn't, uh, wasn't handed the world by, you know, any, any stretch. Right. And you've yeah, no. come yeah. through from the bottom up, um, you know, obviously guiding and probably working odd jobs and then running a camera and then you are where you are now, you know, as, as that time has gone on, it is, it is amazing to me how much things like marketing, you know, like leave technology, like the archery gear out, that's crazy enough or, or hunting equipment, but how much technology has changed? Cause back when you guys were, you know, first rocking and rolling, like you said, there was no social media. Um, and TV was in, in my opinion and print was far more important where now, you know, the digital platforms, I mean, it, it's changed a lot. So, you know, as far as like, do you go with TV? Is it worthwhile to have your own YouTube page? How important is it for you guys to have social media pages? I mean, how much has that changed in, in your mind and how much has it been a pain in the ass for you, I guess, or has it been a bonus or a little bit of everything? Yeah, well, it's changed, you know, it's changed things just dramatically, you know, back in the day, it seemed like every hunt we were on, there was a writer in camp, you know, and the writers, the writers were making, you know, really good money at that time. You know, they were getting X amount of dollars for each article they did. And, um, you know, for example, I used to, I used to hunt with Bill Winky a lot at his place. Um, and I'd film him for some of the real tree stuff. And, you know, he would, he would be plopped down in front of his computer every day. Um, you know, it was before Facebook and, and all that kind of stuff. And so he'd be writing stories every day. He'd be cranking out stories left and right for, you know, 10 different magazines and, um, you know, was making a really good living at that time doing, doing that kind of stuff. And <laughs> excuse me, it changed, it changed dramatically. And, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of hard for me. I'm still kind of old school, you know, for me, you know, making posts and, and keeping up with social media is, uh, it's kind of tough. You know, it's, it's, you know, these younger, the younger generation, they're really into it and, and kind of consumes their whole life. But I try not to, you know, I find myself looking at Instagram a lot. Um, but you know, coming up with stuff to post and, and keeping motivated to stay on top of it is, is kind of tough for me to be honest with you. Um, I, uh, I have a tough time sometimes just keeping up like po posting every day and cause that's what everybody wants. You know, everybody wants, everybody wants content right now and they all want X amount of posts per year and per month. And, um, you know, so it's changed it a ton and, you know, TV has gone down some, I think, I think kind of the core, I think kind of the core, um, people that are our age, you know, I'd say like. 40 to, you know, 60 year old type people, I think are still watching outdoor channel pretty heavy. Um, I think some of the younger guys are just going to, you know, the, the websites and, and the digital platforms. Um, but I, I honestly believe still that the best hunting shows are still on the outdoor channel. I think the best produced shows, um, the people that are getting the best animal footage, um, to me, to me is still on the outdoor channel and you know, the outdoor channel, the outdoor channels app, my outdoor TV is a great, is a great app. Um, I don't know if a lot of people have it or not. I don't know how it's, how it is out there. 
Um, but it has all the shows that you can go on the outdoor channel app and you can watch all the old bone collector shows season one to season 16. You can watch all Lee and Tiffany stuff. You can watch, you know, just all of them, all shocky stuff. Um, so it's changed in that, in that regard, um, where people aren't in front of their TV as much. Um, they're watching their stuff on a mobile device or, you know, on a pad or sitting at their computer at their desk, whatever. Um, so it has changed significantly. And, um, you know, I think, I think if you want to be relevant in this day and age, you've got to, you've got to be across all those platforms, uh, which makes it pretty tough and it keeps people, bit you know, keeps you busy just trying to keep up with all the different angles and, you know, all the, all the different directions that are going on right now. Yeah, it's, it is pretty crazy. I mean, obviously I, I am not on camera. Uh, I mean, I'm, you know, I just, with what I do and trying to talk somebody into, Hey, you want to come uh, starve for 12 days with uh, 60 pounds of shit on your back? Come on. You know, it's, uh, some people like it, but it's a little bit harder. <laughs> um, but yeah, you got it, you know, like whether it's a podcast or, uh, you know, the YouTube page or the show or write articles, um, you know, social media, it is pretty crazy. And then trying to, um, yeah, uh, I don't say stay relevant because, you know, I, I guess that's relevant is um, maybe not the correct term, but knowing like, you know, I'm just I just post what I want to that I think people will like. But, you know, then there's like all yeah, kinds I mean, of loopholes and shit. And, and like, where do you post where and what time do you and I'm like, I don't even know what to write. I just was like, hey, here was a deer from. Uh, the rut in Wyoming. And, you know, I'm, I don't get into it as much as I probably should, but. Yeah. And I see a lot of people, you know, a, a lot of people kind of, they make their, they make their social medias kind of in they, in what they want their perception to be. You know, I've met people that have a pretty cool page, but then when you meet them, it's like, they're not anything like their page kind of deal, you know? Um, so I feel like I try to keep mine as real as possible. You know, my, my passion is, you know, definitely hunting. I mean, it's, you know, I think about it nonstop, you know, it's gotten me into a lot of trouble in my, in my life, you know, being gone a lot. And, you know, I didn't get married until I was 45 um, or 46. And then, you know, I just, I just love it. You know, it's, it's, so that's what I try to put on my socials is just my passion for, you know, what we do and, and these animals that we chase, you know, for me, it's all about the animals. For some people, it's about the gear. For other people, it's about, you know, their equipment and, and, and the bows. Um, but for me, it's about animals, you know, so I don't really get into, you know, like T-Bone, he's a bow ranch man and he loves the archery game. He loves building bows and making sure everything's, you know, up to snuff and tolerances are good. And, and, uh, you know, he's a, he's a bow guy. And so for me, you know, it's all about animals. I just love wildlife and I love animals and I love to get my hands on antlers or horns or, you know, if I'm bear hunting, just, just the end, the end process to get my hands on them. And, you know, that's what it's about for me. And that's kind of what I try to portray on my socials. You know, I, I try to just let everybody kind of see what I'm doing through my eyes and I try to keep it as real as possible and, and, you know, try to stay humble and, and not, uh, not me, 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 you know, kind of deal. Um, but it's kind of tough, you know, cause you're, you're, you know, it's a self-promotion thing, you know, so that, that kind of makes it a little bit weird sometimes. Cause I don't really, I try to stay away from that as much as I can, you know, but, 
Um, I guess that's what social media is, is, you know, you're trying to draw people to follow you and look at your stuff. And so it's kind of a weird, you know, the whole dynamic is kind of weird, really. Yeah, it is. If that it, makes any sense. It does. It is. <laughs> it is very weird. And you can, it, it's funny because like you bring that up. I'm pretty introverted and really don't like social media, but you know, you post photos of yourself. I mean, you know, with an animal or I don't know, whatever, right. It is, it's your page. So you kind of, like you said, and then, uh, it's, but it's, you know, you're, you're not, I, I'm in the same view of you. It's like, you know, it's, it's definitely not a me, me, me thing. So I've tried to like, okay, if I post a photo of me, it's going to be of an animal or a video where you learn something where it's not just, a selfie or you know what I mean? Cause then it's, I can't right. use that word cause I'll get sued, but then it's weird if it's a selfie. Right. And then I, I yeah, it's, it's a strange, uh, yeah. I don't even know how to, you and yeah. I are about the same age. And then, it's weird. And also, yeah. And then, and then also, you know, all, all the people that, that, you know, that sponsor me, they all want, they all want posts. So then you got to also, you know, figure out, you know, what's, what's the best way to, to promote the products and, and, you know, the companies that you represent without turning your whole page into a huge advertisement, you know, that's, that's the biggest challenge of the whole thing. You know, people want, people want the posts, they want you to, to promote them. And it's a huge promotion tool for, for companies, but at the same time, you know, you don't want to jumble up your, you don't want to jumble up your, your, your feed by just totally advertising stuff all the time. So it's a, it's a fine line. It's, it's, uh, it's just kind of a weird, you know, the whole thing is kind of odd and, you know, and then, and then, you know, you hear all, all the stuff about, you know, if you're on, you're, you know, people are just addicted to social media. I don't know if you've ever watched that show called the, the social dilemma. It's a oh, Netflix yeah. series. Yeah. We watched it. I mean, and it's, you know, you know, and they, and they, you know, all these companies have just targeted people to, be addicted to the stuff, you know, I mean, it's just a big, it's just a big vicious deal. And, and, you know, you got to try to balance your life with your, with your job, with your social media and man, it's tough. I mean, it's just turns into a big, you know, explosion sometime of what's right and what's best and what you got to do to keep your head above water, you know? So yeah. And I, I don't, the whole thing is just uh, yeah, it's weird. And I don't want to take this as I'm complaining or, and I'm Nick is not either. It's more guy, two older age class gentlemen discussing how much life has changed for them. Like I never in imagined a million years, anybody exactly. would want to know what I'm doing. One, two, exactly. that people would actually pay me to promote their, the stuff that I like that they make, uh, you know, and then, you know, also, uh, you know, have to <laughs> deal with all the other things. And so it's funny, like when I do stories or whatever, like I try to do like follow along on the, on the, the trip, um, you know, and, and, and social media allows that, but yeah, you can go to a deep, deep, dark wormhole scrolling for three hours and think I could have been at the gym for an hour, but no, I'm actually dumber. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You can sit there and, and I mean, all of a sudden, man, it's one o'clock in the morning and people are looking at their phones when they went to bed at 10, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a crazy, it's a crazy deal, but it w you know, I'm blessed to get to do it. Number one. And I'm also blessed to have the companies that I've had, you know, a lot of these relationships that I've had, I've had for 
well, 16 years, a lot of them, you know, and then before that I was using a bunch of these products when we were with road trips. So, you know, a lot of these companies I've been with for over 20 years and just want to, you know, want to do what you can to promote, you know, the companies that have supported us. And you got, you've been with so Hoyt gotta, forever, you know, gotta, right? Yeah, we started, we started with road trips. Um, I got my first, I got my first Hoyt, you know, basically when road trips started. Um, so I guess that was, shoot, I don't even know how long it's been now. I mean, 22, 23 years ago. Um, so yeah, so I've been with Hoyt all that time. Um, and it's amazing that every year they just seem to get better and better. I never, I never thought it could get to what it is now. I mean, these bows are so good and they're so efficient and accurate and tough. I mean, can't, I can't even tell you what I've put, you know, I use my bows like equipment, you know, I don't baby them and they're just tougher than nails. And I just have never had the only bow that I've ever had, uh, something go wrong is one I, last year I was at a place in Texas and I left my bow in the, in the ranger. I was going to go out in the morning and the guy that owned the ranch, his kid took the ranger in the night to go let some of his buddies in the gate. And he threw my, threw my bow out of the ranger and him and his buddy both ran over it and, uh, busted the sights and everything off it. But you know, and it bent the heck out of it, but it was still like in one piece, <laughs> you know, so I've had, I've had great luck with them and, you know, just been a long time, man. Been a long time. So. Yeah. It, uh, I tell you, like going back to the to technology thing up being up in BC for, I think I was in five weeks and you know, you don't have service till you're back at camp. And that is like, uh, very good for my emotional and mental status, I guess, or, or welfare or whatever. It is good for me to do that. And I love not having, you know, service, uh, which is, you know, where I was at with, with Troy or whatever. So like, it was, it was good for me because yep. I like him totally disconnected. I, I'm curious, what did that little pecker would say about me? <laughs> well, they said you're tougher than hell. They said you're tougher than hell. You're a mountain guy. And man, they were, they were pumped, you know, um, they, they, they think you're a, a great hunter and, um, you know, a mountain goat and get it done. So I thought that was pretty cool. You know, I, um, I, I spent, I spent a little bit of time in the late nineties in Denver and, uh, you, did you start, did you start Kafaru? No, no, I did not. Um, I, I started working there in about 2011 and then, and then my partner and I bought it, um, three years ago. Okay. So when I was working in Denver in the late nineties, there was a guy that, that, uh, came into the barbershop that I was working in. So I, so I lived in South Dakota and then I would work for Realtree in the fall, uh, traveling all over the country. And then in the spring I would, uh, go to seven J outfitters and guide Turkey hunters. And then in the winter time I would go to Denver and work in a couple barbershops and I would snowboard all winter. Well, anyway, there was a guy that was a real avid hunter that came into the barbershop and, uh, he used, uh, the Kafaru products and he just, he loved them, you know, the tents and sleeping bags and backpacks. Um, and, uh, he would, this guy would go up on, up on this mountain, um, up on, you know, he would get tags on Mount, is it Mount Evans? That's just South mm -hmm. of, South of Denver. And, uh, he had killed, he had killed like five or six, 200 inch, uh, mule deer and he'd killed three or four bulls over 400. Um, and he was just a hell of a hunter. And, and so we always talk hunting, but he loved, he loved those products. And, and because they were made local, I don't, uh, they, 
um, where were they made? Was it they, in, uh, go, they were in golden and golden? then wheat Ridge and golden. golden. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I knew about those products at that time. Um, and so I kind of followed them all through the years. And then, you know, obviously with, through social media, I, you know, you started promoting them heavy. And so I wasn't sure if you had started the company or if you guys bought it or how that went. But anyway, he, Patrick was the guy who um, started it. He kind of adopted me as his, his, his son, as I started working, you know, for him and, and, and with him and, and, uh, yeah, it's been a crazy journey. We're in Wyoming, you know, now, um, but you know, we all American made needle thread, everything else. And which is a pain in the ass to do nowadays, but, uh, yeah, we're still doing it. Yeah. You know, we went to, uh, I've gone to Alaska. Um, there's a group of, of guys that I hunt with up there on a place called Geezer Ridge. And uh, we get dropped off on this mountaintop. It's a pretty scary drop. You know, there's probably about a, I don't know, maybe a 150-yard airstrip that sits on the top of this mountain. Well, it's not even an airstrip. It's just a bald hilltop. So we drop in there with super cubs and, and get all our stuff out. And then we go off the backside of this hill. And we set up we set up uh, teepees. And the teepee we used for a long time was, you know, the Kafaru. I think I'm saying it right. Yep. yep. And that thing, man, it was bomb proof. I mean, we had 70, 80 mile an hour winds and snow and rain. And, you know, we would all just sit, we had kind of two of the guys would sleep in the big, I think it had like a 14 or 16 foot, foot, uh, foot footprint on it. And so we would kind of, um, be in sleep in tents outside of that teepee, but then everybody would come in the teepee to eat and there was a little wood stove in there. We'd dry our clothes and, um, man, it was, it's just a, I mean, freaking awesome tool. If you're in the back country, it, it folds up into a tiny little bag. Um, but it has a big enough footprint where everybody can get inside and, you know, warm up and we cooked in there and man, it was just an awesome, awesome teepee. And then it ended up tearing, um, in a big, really big storm one night It tore and, and, uh, put it back together with duct tape and got us through. But man, that, that thing was bomb proof and it, it for, I think like 16 years, that thing was, you know, the, the shelter that we use. So really good stuff, man. It, I know, I know the stuff's just great. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Um, you know, the company, like, like everything, you know, things change where we were kind of the only, well, us and mystery ranch were the only ones, you know, years ago. And I say the only ones you know, American made, whatever else. And to, you know, you got to stay like we were just talking about, like, whether it's your designs and your technology and your marketing, like it's, um, yeah, you got a full throttle balls to the wall. Same thing with you guys, different, but this, but the same, the, the cool thing, I guess, though, with all of it is I have gotten as well as you to meet some amazing people and Troy and Justin being a good example of that. Um, you know, just from being in the outdoors, right. I mean, it, it never would have met them. Yeah. I can't imagine without it. And then like, it, as much as I, you know, at times talk shit about social media, like, I might run into you at a sportsman show, but I literally was like, Hey, Nick, you want to hop on the podcast? And here we are talking and maybe we'll hunt sometime together, but there is, there is good things about it. And definitely in, you know, the outdoors. And I, I remember on the road trip side, I think it was a K5 blazer or something. I think he had probably 38 big mud tires driving down the road. Uh, yep. well, you yep. know, yeah. And then, you know, when it went to bone collector, uh, you know, I would watch, I don't have, I don't have TV now, but back then I would watch all the shows and then, I was at the ATA and I think it was an Alpha Max 32 and 35. There was a bone collector edition, 2011 maybe. Yep. Uh, 
Yep. I think that was the first year of, of um, the bone collector. And I remember guys would shoot the same bow and then they would get yours that said bone collector and they'd be like, no, this one shoots better. And I'm like, they are obviously fans of uh, Nick Waddy and, uh, you know, T-Bone because <laughs> that is the same bow. But that that was the following you guys had. I mean, you still do. It was it was it's pretty amazing. And you guys are very relatable, um, you know, to begin with. So it's it's uh, you know, you're not. I don't think you all, any of you came from money, right? And so, like, you have a relatable no. background. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. T Bone's a trip. He's um, a good guy. I get him on the podcast for, we talk about tuning and tech tips and art, archery in general. And that's a huge, you know, favorite. That, that podcast usually is in the 40 to 50,000 downloads when T, when T Bone's on. Yeah. And he's, I mean, he's so knowledgeable. Like, I'll, I'll go and, and go to his place and, and he'll set up my bow and, um, you know, everything's got to be just perfect. And, you know, he can, he can pretty much just look at my bow and tell me if it's out of tune, you know, and, and, uh, he's just a student of it, you know, and even still today, not, you know, he used to have a, he used to have a, a bow shop. Um, but he got, you know, once we started doing bone collector, he, he, he sold it and, um, you know, kind of just set up in his basement, but he still is up on all the new bows. You know, he knows how to ranch on all of them. And, you know, like I said, he knows all the tolerances and I mean, he's just, uh, he's a brain when it comes to that stuff. And the guy can shoot like nobody's business, you know, he's great shot and probably not as good a shot now that he's, you know, only got one leg. So, but, uh, yeah, he's just, a he's just a great guy. And not only that, I mean, just so fun to be around, always positive, fun you know we all just feed off of each other and you know we've been, we just had a, a great a great run and a great relationship you know it's it's great it's makes it easy when there's the guys that you're around are you know fun people and positive and nobody's ever bitching and complaining you know we're always we're always kind of half glass full type of people you know so yeah been, on, a great, been a great group to run around with on that note out of curiosity have you uh have you ever had a major blowout uh, you know, sleep deprivation, shit's not going well, bad weather, things happen. Have you and Wadi or, or, or T-Bone ever went at it? Not really. You know, really the only thing we've ever really argued about is just hunt schedule. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we've gotten into a couple arguments about hunt schedule, but other than that, I mean, <laughs> that's about it. You know, um, we, we all get along pretty dang good and we're all – you know, we're all pretty level-headed. Um, I don't think any any of us are, you know, considered hotheads or anything like that. So, we if we have a problem with each other, we we bust it out. But really, I mean, honestly, you know, none of us really ever do anything to make each other mad. I mean, it's it's pretty legit. So, no, that's, um, that's I suppose that's if we were all, I suppose if we were all together all the time, if we all went to an office every single day and we're around each other, you know, but you know, we all live in different places, and and so. You know, when we get together, it's usually a lot of fun. So, you know, we've had we've had a great relationship over the years. It's been it's been phenomenal, actually. Oh, that's cool. And then you were just uh, you were down at uh, Jimmy Jimmy John's. That well, that's where you ran into to Troy and, and Justin, and you shot a, a damn good deer down there, didn't you? Yeah, man, it was crazy. I shot this deer. So the stand that I was hunting, there was two or three shooter type deer at the place. You know, the place is. I think he's got about 10,000 acres and about 4,000 of it is good huntable country. So, you know, they really manage it. They got food plots and, um, 
you know, they only want to shoot older age class deer. And so the place that I was going had three mature bucks there. And the one deer was probably like a 170 type buck. And then the next one was the one that I killed. And then there was a couple of good, just old, you know, four or five year old bucks in there. And so the deer, the deer that came out, the deer that I shot, as soon as he kind of came out in this thick brush, we could just see his horns sticking up. And I was like, yeah, that's, you know, that's one of the deer I can tell by his horns. And so then he poked his head up and I could see he had a big dewlap hanging down and I could tell right away he was a mature buck. And so, you know, the way we hunt, you know, we hunt four or five days pretty much everywhere. And so, you know, we don't have, Waddell has his own farm and T-Bone has a farm, but I don't have a farm. So I just hunt four or five days. And so I like to, I like to shoot, you know, I like putting them in the back of the truck and, you know, I'm not, I'm not holding out for 180 or whatever. So when this deer came out, I said, oh yeah, you know, this, I'm shooting this deer for sure. You know, I, if the other one beats him here, then I'll shoot it, but I'm not going to pass this deer up because he's old. And, you know, we figured from the pictures, he was probably like low 140s type buck, a nine pointer with a little sticker on a G2. So anyway, as he starts coming in, I'm just like, holy crap, you know, his body was just humongous. So he came in there and he, in, and we're hunting over, uh, We've got some cut corn out in front of us, but then kind of right in front of the blind is um, a food, a green, real green food plot. So he came out and he was kind of eating through the cut corn, and then he came and he was eating the food plot, and I ended up shooting him at 30 yards. And uh, I don't know what happened. I had to kind of lean around to get out this one window, so I so I must have just changed my anchor point a little bit, and so I hit him just about five or six inches back, just straight liver. And uh, he ran off and stood on the edge of the woods there for five minutes. And then it's on a steep bank that I could, I thought he went down, but he actually just went down into the bank. So we went, just went back to the house and looked at it on video. And, you know, everybody in camp was looking at it and kind of, you know, it's, it's always best just to get the heck out of there. I mean, if, you, if you're not sure about the shot, um, the biggest mistake you can ever make is going after him. Because if you jump a deer like that, man, you just don't know which direction they go because there's hardly any blood. You know, there's a lot of internal damage, but once they, once they jump and take off running, they're really hard to find. So you just have to get out of there, give them the time. Cause if they die, they're going to die right there. They're going to be there in the morning or in five, six hours, whatever. So we went back, everybody put in their two cents, you know, nobody, nobody doubted that we were, you know, that we would find that deer. So then we went back about five or six hours later and, I just wanted to find my arrow. So I found the arrow. Um, it was, you know, there was no gut on it at all. It was just straight liver. So we knew he was most likely dead. So we just snuck over to where we, you know, had last seen him and he was just, you know, maybe five yards from where I'd last seen him. And instantly I just was, I mean, I was in awe at how big his body was. I mean, it's literally, there may be one other deer that I shot that was as big and that's the, the uh, 210 inch buck I shot in Kansas. Um, but it was all we, all we could do to drag him out of there. He ended up scoring 153. Um, he had almost seven inch bases on him, just a, you know, a monster deer, 22 inches wide on the inside. And so then we went and, uh, we hung him and, and, you know, got him field dressed and everything. And then the next morning we went and took a few pictures. And then I said, man, I got to get this deer on a scale. So we took him to the shed and they got a scale there and he literally weighed 291 pounds with no guts. And I mean, it, just an absolute slob, biggest, biggest thing. His head was giant, his body, you know, and he was still kind of in that, 
you know, late summer phase, you know, he hadn't started to put a neck on or anything for the rut. I mean, he was just beautiful short haired Cape and a bunch of wrinkles around his neck and just a monster, monster deer. In fact, last week I went to Missouri and a gal in camp shot a buck there. That was a six year old buck that had a huge body. And we put it on the scale and with guts, it weighed 244 and it weighed 198 without guts. So, you know, you're looking at almost 50 pounds of guts on a 245 pound deer. Um, so legitimately, I think my deer, you know, weighed 350 on the hoof. Um, but man, just a freaking huge slob. And I think he was probably like an eight year old type buck looking at his teeth. Yeah. I'm looking at the pictures but now. Super, that is a, that is a giant body deer. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, it was just huge. And then when uh, my camera guy and I, uh, Drake Lamb, when we, you know, we pulled it out of the back of the pickup and took a bunch of pictures and literally, <laughs> I think I bought, blew my O-ring trying to get it back in the truck. I mean, it was all we could do, he and I, to get that thing back in there. It was, it was just brutal. I could, I mean, I just, it took up the whole back of the truck. I mean, it was just a huge buck, man. It was something else, you know, and I thought to myself later, I thought, man, if I would have passed this deer up, I just... You know, I didn't. I had no idea really how big he was. You know, but uh, yeah. like I said, I don't. I don't pass up a lot of mature deer. If I'm if I'm somewhere hunting and a mature one comes by, um, do I want to kill a big deer everywhere I go? Of course. But the reality is, is I'm hunting four and five days, and if a mature buck comes and gives us good video, I just like to hunt. I like putting an arrow in them, and I like loading them up in the Chevy. So that's kind of what it's all about for me. You know, I'd rather kill. I'd rather kill six or seven really nice deer than one giant every year myself. Yeah. Well, no, I'm in so. the same, uh, same boat as you. Um, out, out of all your hunts, which this kind of, I don't say cliche or whatever, but, uh, like which one, which ones, like, which, which would be some of the more memorable, you know, since, you know, like you said, since you started years and years ago that stick out, whether it be a big animal or just an ass whooping or whatever, what are, what are some of the more memorable well, you know, I've got a, I've got a pretty good sized handful of them, but, um, talk about ass kick. And I drew a, I drew a sheep tag in uh, the river of no return wilderness in Idaho. And, um, I hired a guide to get me back in there. So I went with Bighorn Outfitters and, uh, so we went in on horseback. We started, I think, I think the trailhead is at like 8,500 feet, rode all the way down to the, to the river. Um, obviously, because that's the only place there's water in that country. It's super dry, super rugged stuff. And and uh, I called. He kept telling me every time I'd talk to him on the phone, he'd say, make sure you're in shape. Make sure you call these references. Make sure you're in shape. Make sure you're in shape. Make sure you're in shape. So I called these guys. And, and one of the guys that I called had been on like 25 or 30 different sheep hunts around the world. And he said, it's definitely one of the toughest places you'll go you know he said i've been all over the world chasing sheep and this that area is one of the toughest so luckily before that i was in alaska um we shot a couple moose and and had to haul those out on our back so i got my legs in pretty good shape before i went and um i spotted this ram on uh, the end of the first day um and he was all the way across the, the canyon on the other side probably four miles across um spotted him he's by himself up on this little spire and uh, so the guy that was guiding me, he, he said uh, he'd never seen a sheep in that country. Usually there's only mountain goats up in there. And so we put a plan together and it literally took us four days to get over there. Um, we went down through the bottom, um, 
the first night and then the next night we went across and we stayed on the top and then we went across the top and stayed again and then on the fourth day we went down and, and he had actually moved about three quarters of a mile to the t to the south they kind of thought he was headed towards kind of the winter range um so we found him and i shot him at 300 yards um dropped him with one shot and he rolled down and he got stuck on this huge pine tree so we took off to go down there um when we got there he was gone he had i, I guess you know relaxed or kicked a little bit and and then fell off about a 150 foot cliff and then rolled down about another five or six hundred feet so i went down there found him got my hands on him and as soon as i put my hands on him man he started rolling and i was sliding with him and i couldn't hold on to him <laughs> and he took off rolling i had to let him go because he was pulling me down the hill and i had to let him go and he ended up rolling about another five or six hundred feet down the hill so oh my gosh man so we got down there and we skinned him out and you know i did a life size on him so you know totally deboned him uh took all the rib meat and all the neck meat and all everything and got it in our packs and you know um my guide was a young kid uh from wisconsin his name was matt and he's about six three you know probably like 190 pounds but stronger than an ox and so his pack was heavier than mine so you know his pack was probably 150 pounds and mine was probably 120 and you know, I had the, the skull and, and cape in mine and a bunch of meat, and he had most of the meat in his. And so we took off, and we got back to our tent at about 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, made some made some freeze-dried food, and uh, got up and the, the next morning at 6 and broke down our tents and put everything on our backs. And then we had, a, had to hike out of there, and they picked us up at this trailhead, and, and they picked us up about 5 o'clock in the evening on this trailhead. So we hiked all day, and man, I, I'm telling you, man, I don't know if I've ever been that tired. I was just completely shot and it was a, but I shot a 10 and a half year old Ram. Um, I think he scored 164. He was broomed off real good and just an old, old Ram. And so as far as being rewarding, you know, that's probably my most rewarding hunt, the, the hardest that I ever worked for an animal. And, um, you know, that's a very memorable hunt, but I've got others too. You know, I shot a Shot a huge buck on the Arizona Strip, a 226 with my bow, and it was in a drought year, and, and I think that year it was the biggest buck killed on the Strip. Um, and then uh, I've had a chance to go to Russia a couple times, so I, I went the first time with some guys and shot a big brown bear, and then the next year I went with my dad, and that was something we'd always wanted to do together, is shoot brown bears, and so we went over and we both shot really big brown bears and um, rode around on snowmobiles and you know, travel halfway around the world and all kinds of stuff happens, you know, so you got to be, you know, it's, it's as much as physically tough in some of those situations, you got to be mentally tough because there's a lot of things that happen that you have to just kind of put behind you and take the next step forward. Um, you know, when you hunt in foreign countries, people don't like you, they look at you weird and, you know, you got to go through different situations that put you in mental situations that you have to you know, there's a lot of adversity that you have to overcome and keeping, keeping a positive frame of mind and, and, uh, you know, looking, looking towards the future rather than looking at what just happened an hour ago. Um, mental toughness is something my dad taught me. My dad is a, a medic in Vietnam and, uh, is one of the toughest people I've ever met in my life. So, you know, just, just some, just some of those experiences have been great. And, and, uh, I've had a chance to kill two, two mule deer bucks over 200 inches and I've got one whitetail over 200 and 
um, man, I've just been really lucky. I've, I've gotten to hunt some great, some great spots and do some fun things. So those are kind of some of my most memorable type, type deals, I guess. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you, when you do so much and, and take so many animals and go to so many places, it's, I have found it's generally not the size of the animal when guys bring it up. It's generally an ass whooping of a hunt that they remember, which is good. Right? I mean, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, but if I went and shot a semi-tame 400-inch bull or I had a 14-day solo backpack hunt and shot like a 280, you know, bull, I'm probably going to remember the 12-day ass whooping far more than the the one I shot kind of out of the truck or the way that my brain works. It seems like most people's work the same way. Yeah, and you know the the funny thing is, you know, you being a being a manufactured gear guy, um, all I could think about coming out of those mountains with that big huge pack was, man, I hope this pack doesn't fail. I mean, it was like on the top of my mind because it was so heavy, and you know, I only weigh 175 pounds, and my pack was at least 120, and uh, you know, it was just what I thought about every step was, man, I hope this pack holds up, you know, because if I'd had, had a broken pack trying to get out of there, it was hell, man. I'm telling you, it was, it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, to be honest. I mean, it was a, it was a brutal hunt. You know, it's so rocky. It's so straight up and down and you go, you go, you know, through, through rock slides and boulder fields. And then you come across a boulder field that every boulder is the size of truck and you got to literally jump from one to the next to the next with a heavy pack. And I'm pretty sure that's where I, you know, I had a, I, I tore my meniscus. I'm pretty sure on that hunt and I had to have it repaired, but man, yeah, that was a, that was a memorable one, but you know, <laughs> some of the hunts where you get great guys in camp too, and you're having fun and laughing and you know, those ones are memorable too. You know, I just, I just love it so much. There's just nothing I love more than hunting. I mean, obviously I love my family. I love the kids you know, it's, it's different, but I just love, there's just something about hunting, man. And still today, you know, I've been doing it for, you know, before I was, before I was doing bone collector, just video and real tree and just my passion for it has not died one bit. I mean, I'm typically the first one up in the morning. Um, you know, I like to get to my stand, you know, an hour before 45 minutes before daylight. And, and I like to watch the sun come up and, um, you know, I really get depressed when hunting season's over, like legitimately depressed, you know, but, um, yeah, I just love it, man. It's can't say it enough, I guess. Yeah, no, no, believe me. I, I get it. And that, that, you know, the thing that's hard, which, uh, you know, I struggle with at times is like when your work becomes your, you know, the way you make a living or, or your hobby becomes the way you make a living or however you want to look at it, keeping it exciting and not letting some of the grind, uh, you know, affect that. But I, you know, f- the thing is, is no matter how much grind there is, and, you know, I'm a, a late onset whitetail hunter, you know, I didn't start hunting until a few years ago. It, it was kind of funny that uh, right. I did not get typewriter leg or as excited, whether I had bulls coming in screaming or it was a giant goat or whatever, but you'd put me in a tree stand and I'd hear leaves move, look back and, you know, here comes a 150 inch buck in my, my right leg, I would get typewriter leg. And I'm like, this is, I'm, oh, yeah. this is new to me. And so it's a new excitement. And so, you know, now guys are like, Hey, what's your, if you had to choose between whitetail and elk, I'm like, I choose whitetail now. Like I shot enough elk, like whitetail gets me going at a high level far more than elk hunting does. And probably cause I've done elk hunting for so long, but again, 
working on 50 here. Uh, you know what I mean? And, and still, if I can get typewriter leg after, sh- you know, shooting thousands of animals, however many I've shot, that definitely says something. And it sounds like you're the same way with your passion for the outdoors and hunting. So, Yeah, man. And, and you know, uh, every animal you get excited, you get excited to, you know, get a shot at, or, you know, you're wondering if it's going to happen, but whitetails, for some reason, they just, everyone's different, you know, and every, every state you go to is different and every type of terrain is different, you know, so Iowa is different than Kansas is different than South Dakota is different than Minnesota, you know, and there's just something about it when they come in, for instance, when I shot my biggest buck in Kansas, um, I get to, I get up in the stand. It's a, it's one of those afternoons. I actually told my cameraman as we were walking in, I said, look, man, these are the days when the big ones are on their feet. You know, it's high pressure, right time of year. It just feels like it's that kind of a day, you know? So we get in and as soon as I get in my stand, I look down on my lanyard. I, I wear my rangefinder on this beaded lanyard. I've worn it for years and my rangefinder was gone. It had the, the, I had it zip tied onto my lanyard and the zip tie had broken. And so my, my rangefinder's gone and here i'm in hunting this area where i know this big bucks living and i'm like oh my god so we're in the stand we get set up and literally we're we're not even settled yet i hear something coming and this doe comes running through with a 145 inch eight point chasener and they run into the cedars and i'm like crap you know and then all of a sudden i hear something else so i tell him here comes something else and this 210 inch buck comes running in there and he's, and I didn't realize it was that buck. And so he's, he's running around at about 40 to 45 yards, just like a bird dog trying to find the trail of that doe and that buck. And he's rounding around and I'm grunting at him and trying to get him come closer because I'm not going to shoot at him at 45 yards because I, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly how far it is because that's how much I depend on my range finder. So he goes across and he follows their exact trail and goes into the cedars. Well, um, I go to hang my bow up and I hit my release and my release falls to the ground. So I'm like, crap. So then I swing over to go down the steps. And as I start going down the steps, I still have my, um, my safety line attached. As I start to get on the steps to go down a little bit before I undo my safety line, um, my camera guy goes, here he comes. And I look up, well, it ends up being the eight point, but he just kind of lopes like a horse right underneath the stand and just goes right underneath me and runs back to where he'd come from originally. So I'm like, holy shit. So I go down, I get my release, I come back up. And so now all these bucks start coming out of everywhere because that hot doe was in there. There's bucks here, there's bucks there. There's a big double main beam buck out in front of me with a doe. So I couldn't really do anything because I wanted to rattle to try to get this big buck to come back, but there was too many other deer around and I didn't want one of them, you know, to, you know, if I would have rattled or grunted at them, they would have, they would have circled downwind and possibly blew. And then everybody, you know, everything goes to heck then. So after all these deer are gone, I grab my rattle bag, I hit this rattle bag, I set it down. And then the big buck, here he comes, man. He's like on his way in. So I grab my bow and I go to, I go to put my re, my, my release on the, loop and I look down and my arrow's gone. So I look down in the in the dirt and my arrow is sticking in the ground. It fallen off the it fallen off somehow and it's sticking in the ground. So like everything's going wrong. I lose my range finder, my release falls off, and now this buck's at like thirty yards coming and I don't have a damn arrow on my string. 
So all I'm thinking in my head, and, and this comes this comes back to, you know, being mentally prepared, having been in these situations a bunch. So all I'm thinking in my head is, all right, be deliberate, move slow, get an arrow, don't rush. Everything's fine. Just trying to keep myself calm. So I, I, you know, now I pretty much shoot with my quiver on just because of this situation. So now I turn, I pull an arrow out of my quiver, which I have hooked, you know, to the tree. So I put the arrow on and the buck comes and now he goes behind um, an Osage orange tree, which is the thickest tree in the world. There's branches everywhere on them. They're dog hair thick. So he comes behind that. Well, I don't have a rangefinder, but I know he's top pin now. So he finally comes in this little hole that's about the size of a volleyball and I stop him and I shoot him, make a great shot. I can see blood coming out. But the whole thing, man, was just everything that could have gone wrong in that moment went wrong. I mean, literally, the, the rangefinder was gone. I dropped my release. I dropped my arrow. But I was just, I, I was able to keep my wits about me enough to just pull through and, and get the shot made. But it was just hilarious. So I was in this huge roller coaster of emotion. You know, I was down in the dumps because I didn't have my rangefinder and this huge buck got away. Well, then all of a sudden he comes back. I rattle him in and I ended up killing him inside of 20 yards and then didn't even know it was him, just knew it was a huge buck. And then once I got to him, I was like, oh, my God, it's the buck, you know. And so it was just crazy. But you just never know what's going to happen. And, um, you know, trying to keep your wits about you when your heart heart is pounding a 1,000 miles an hour, my hands were shaking, um, turned out pretty good. But it could have been, you know, the worst day of my life, really, in the hunting woods. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And then uh, on that, like, uh, what, uh, off the subject but on, with that deer, all the wet, have you stuck with the same broadhead? Um, I get that question a lot. Do you shoot fixed blades or mechanicals? Like what, what's kind of your preference? Well, I shoot mechanicals and I've shot mechanicals now for pretty much my whole career, except in, there's a few places, um, early on in Oregon, they didn't allow them. So I didn't shoot them there. I shot a striker, but I've shot G5 products for all oh, the last 20 years. Um, it started, you know, it started as the Tekken. It was a two blade rear deploying mechanical. And then I went to the to the T to the T two, the Tekken two, which was the same, just had a few other little changes to it. And then I went to the T three, they changed it to a three blade, um, which was great. You know, I don't like the mechanicals that fold over themselves, you know, so the blades are out front and then they fold back over. Um, I like the rear deploying type mechanicals. And then uh the T three went to the dead meat, and then just here last year. Um, well, two years ago, they got a new one called the Mega Meat, and it's a two-blade, rear-deploying, um, cut-on-contact, and the thing is just absolutely amazing. Um, it's very, it's just devastating what it does to them, and instant blood trails. Um, you know, a lot of the two-blade broadheads, um, they... They, they're devastating as well, but depending on the angle that the broadhead hits, sometimes you don't get great blood loss, so it's hard to follow blood trails with them. Although they leave a huge hole, you know, when you get to the deer and you check the hole, they leave a huge hole, but for some reason, there's some angles that the two blades, you just don't get great blood loss out of the body cavity. But with this mega meat, it's a three blade, it leaves like three flaps, and I mean, man, they just bleed like crazy, and the devastation inside of them I mean, I've, these animals that I've been shooting with it, you skin them and you know, when you shoot an animal with a rifle, 
um, just all the damage that's around when that impact hits and just creates all that damage around that spot. It's the same thing with these broadheads on both sides. I mean, they just create just devastating wound channels. And uh, so I've used G5 for most of my career and they, they are seriously just very, very, very devastating. Yeah. I've actually shot several deer with that mega meat. Um, and uh, the most, and I'm just saying that cause you're on here. Uh, Ryan Rotier was with me, the most devastating, you know, by far internal damage I'd ever seen was, was from a mega meat. And when I say that it wasn't the best shot. Um, and I don't know, Jerry may edit this out what it did to the insides of that. When it first ran, you could hear it sloshing on the inside. And I was like, did you hear that? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was crazy. And you just don't see that with it. So that, yeah, the mega meat is definitely, I've seen some photos that guys have sent me where I'm like, good Lord, it almost looks like it's faked, but yeah. Yeah. And the cool thing about a mega meat too, is it comes with a, it comes with a point. It's called a BMP, a ballistic match point that they machined that is the exact same aerodynamics and, and same build as the broadhead. So you can, you can shoot it at your target. Um, and mine fly pretty much exactly like a field point out of my bow. So I just practice with field points and then I use the mega meat. But, um, you know, if you make a marginal shot, whether that be back, you know, in the guts or, you know, I, I mean, once in a while a deer will jump, jump the string enough to jump forward and you hit him in the ass or you hit him in the shoulder or whatever. You know, a lot of times if you hit an animal in the shoulder, it doesn't matter what you're going to use. You're not going to get them. Um, they're going to end up stealing your broadhead and arrow. You might, you may get your arrow back, but the broadhead's going to be stuck in there for a while. But if you make a marginal shot, you know, back through the intestines or even, you know, through the paunch, um, if you leave them alone, if you don't chase them, if you just let them lay and you come back in 10 hours, you're going to find it because they just leave such a big hole and they're just so devastating. Um, like I said earlier, you know, backing out, on a marginal hit, especially if you don't have it on video and you're not exactly sure where you hit, just back out of there. Yeah, there's a chance coyotes are going to get them, but there's a better chance that if you follow up that animal that it's going to jump and run and you're never going to find it. You might find it in the spring when you're shed hunting or maybe in a couple months or something, but um, I think just uh, using a broadhead that creates devastation like that and staying away, it just increases your odds of finding them so much. And, and those broadheads, man, the, the mega meat is, it's the best, it's the best head I've ever used. Um, I've shot, I've killed elk and deer with them. Um, just, just, there's just no better head and they're made out of steel. So they're really tough. I've, I've never really broken a, a blade on them either. When you look at them, you kind of wonder how they can hold together with that little, just there's a little piece that holds them together, but it's, it's amazing how tough they are. Yeah, no, they're, they're solid for sure. Um, well, man, we're hitting an hour and I know you're sitting in your truck, so I don't want you to keep you on here um, all morning. <laughs> can you tell everybody where they can find you on social, when the show's on, they can watch you guys, all that, that type of stuff? Yeah, so um, all my socials are, are uh, at Nick Munt. I'm on Twitter and, and Instagram, TikTok, at Nick Munt. Uh, Facebook is Nick Munt. Um, and then you can check out our website at bonecollector.com. Um, I have a, my own website too. It's nickmunt.com. I have a booking agency. I book hunts all around the world. Um, so if you're looking to go on a good hunt, whether it be whitetails, mule deer, elk, turkeys, you know, we've got uh, Marco Polo and, and 
you know, bears in Russia and all kinds of stuff. So uh, nickmunton.com, you can check it out. We've got a full catalog of hunts and product. Um, and then, uh, you know, go to our bone collector stuff. You know, you follow uh, at official bone collector on Instagram. Um, it's kind of our bone collector Instagram page. We've got a Facebook page. Uh, bonecollector.com has all of our products. And, uh, you know, we have game calls now. We have scents. Um, our game call line is amazing, too. I mean, our our game calls are made by some of the best callers in history. Uh, we've got a bunch of these guys on our staff that are building our game calls, our turkey calls, our deer calls. Um, hopefully pretty soon we'll be coming out with some elk calls. But um, we've got a great lineup of game calls, and you can get those at bonecollector.com as well. Cool, man. We're right on. And I appreciate uh, everything you guys have done coming, you know, from a perspective of, of, uh, watching you for, for years, uh, in the crew. Um, it's all, you know, not all shows are created equal and uh, yours has always been a pleasure to watch. Other ones suck. So it's always nice to go, oh, that's on at seven or whatever. And so, <laughs> but well, I, I really appreciate it, brother. I mean, like I said, we're, we're lucky to, to have done it this long. We, you know, we, we love it. And, everything we do is because people have watched it and we've got a great fan base, you know, every, every, everywhere we go from trade shows to different appearances, you know, we do, we do um, all kinds of different appearances every year. And we always just have great people that turn out, you know, our fans are, are hardworking people from all across the country. Um, and so we, we really believe that hunting is for everybody, whether you're skinny or fat, you know, white or dark or whatever, Muslim or Christian, we don't care. Everybody, um, you know, sees hunting in their own light the way they want to do it, and that's how it should be. If you want to hold out for a giant, that's your choice. If you want to shoot a spike or a doe or fill your freezer or do drives or hunt with dogs, that's that's what it's all about. And we feel like, you know, our job over the years has not been to uh, kill big deer. It's been more to sell licenses, get people involved, and just really promote the sport of hunting so it doesn't go away. And that's really what our job is at Bone Collector is to just promote hunting in a good light, keep people interested and sell licenses, man. That's, that's what we're all about. You know, be a leader, be a caretaker and a, and a provider and uh, don't, don't make excuses where you're, wear your hat in public and, and uh, don't be ashamed to wear camouflage. And what we always tell these kids too, man, if you get into a situation where, you know, you're scared for your life or, shit happens um find a guy in a camouflage hat because most likely they'll take you in they'll help you you know get whatever you need if your kids you know are headed off to college you tell them if they're ever in a situation where they need help you find the guy in a camouflage hat because number one he probably knows how to help you fill your freezer if you're hungry number two he's going to help you get out of a sticky situation and and they're typically good people so um, that's just kind of a word of advice that we always give, you know, if you got, if you got trouble and you need help, the guy in the camouflage hat is probably going to be your best person to go to. That is no lie. That should be on a t-shirt. Um, well, yeah. shit, man, I appreciate everything. Like I said, and, uh, definitely the show and everything else. And yeah, at some point in time, we'll, we'll have to try to go shoot something together, come down, hunt out dad, or I don't know, we'll figure it out, but it'd be cool. Man, I'd love that. I would love it, dude. Love it. Cool, man. All right. Well, everybody, thanks for, for tuning in. And uh, yeah, man, I'll talk to you soon enough. Thanks again. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Best of luck with everything. <laughs>